0: in your bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning. We're going to pick up in our second installment here of our savior saga. In verse 39, we'll be looking down through verse 55. And as I was studying this morning when I got up, I had to kind of laugh because so much of the world is selective in their belief of miracles. Many people will say, you know, I only believe in science, that which is empirically able to be proven. And yet, I say to you that if you're here this morning and your basis for belief in the existence of all that we see and know uh, boils down to a Big Bang, boils down to Darwinian evolution, boils down to that which are natural processes... I say to you, you believe in way more miracles than I do. Because very often we are selective about which miracles we choose to believe in. And I can prove this to you rather easily. Because those who hold to that particular worldview that says everything that we see, everything that's observable in our world, in our universe can be explained by natural processes i say to you no it can't and not only can it not be explained the actual better explanation is the intervention of a god who dwells outside of space and time and what we know is our space time and continuum uh, matter continuum this 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 universe that we live in and If you believe otherwise, then I would ask you a few simple questions. Explain to me how chemicals, which have no capacity to store energy or information, organize themselves over very long periods of time and then stay in stasis in a universe that's hostile to those chemicals existence in the forms that we would know as amino acids, proteins, things of that type, or even take, for instance, a single-celled organism and tell me that it is simple. It's not simple. There are several hundred thousand chemical components of a single-celled organism that must be exactly the way they are for it to be life. And so, all of us believe in the miraculous even those who choose not to believe in the miraculous things of god and as we study this morning very often people look at this passage as a fable they they look at the immaculate conception of mary and they say well it just simply couldn't have happened and i say to you uh, that is a minor miracle Compared to flinging the stars into space and holding them in their places. That is a minor miracle compared to the creation of life itself. To the structure of the DNA molecule which makes up each of us, yet to each of us is completely unique. You see, we do believe in miracles. And though we have one in our passage this morning, be careful about being selective about which miracles you choose to believe. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the power of your word, for the truth of your word, for the glory of your word, for if this were not a miracle, then Jesus could not possibly have been God from heaven and man from earth simultaneously. And so, Lord, to you we give the glory and the honor and the praise, and we ask that you would now take your word and strengthen us as we study it. Lord, bless us, empower us to live lives that are well-pleasing to you. We give you this time, Lord, you authored it, you created it, you gave us these moments, and now we ask you to use them in our lives. We bless you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 39, and it says there, And now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Now remember that she's coming from Nazareth and she's heading towards Jerusalem, which is to the south, which is where Elizabeth and Zacharias reside, likely in the mountain hill country to the east of Jerusalem. And so she's making this journey, which would take us today if we walked it, probably a few days. That back during that time, perhaps a little bit longer. But she's making this journey from where she is to the outskirts of Jerusalem. And if you remember where we last left off in this saga, she's received some news that's kind of hard to digest. It it is unfortunately for those who have problems believing in miracles. It's a miracle. There's no explanation for it. And in fact, so much is it a miracle that it leaves no question who did it. And very fortunate for us, that's exactly how God accomplished all that is the marvel of grace. Because grace itself is miraculous, is it not? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Because if it's any kind of work that saves you, I say to you, not everyone can be saved. If it's any kind of work, I don't care what work you assign to it, it would exclude some and include others. And so the miracle of grace is simply being fleshed out here in the passage before us. You know, we look to natural reasonings for most everything in our world. There's nothing wrong with science, by the way. I enjoy science. We were in Utah. We went to this uh, cavern called the Tempanogos Cavern. It's in central Utah. And as you as you get to this thing, you you kind of think they're joking because in the little gift shop there, there's a shirt that says, I survived the hike. And I'm thinking, you know what, I'm a backpacker. I don't care about hikes. I just go wherever I go. And I'm going to take this little stroll on this paved path, and we're going to go to this cavern, and we're going to go up there because I love caverns. I, I just happen to love them. I think they're excruciatingly interesting. There are things inside of them you can see nowhere else on earth. Uh, This particular cavern is one of the wonderful places that you can see a very specific type of stalactite, stalagmite, that grows together called a heliocyte. I know that's boring to you, but they grow up. They don't grow down, they grow out, and then they go up, and they turn. it's like the world's getting flipped around, and so they fly in the face of gravity. They don't even know how they form. They think maybe capillary action, that somehow those little molecules of of earth that's contained inside of that water droplet, it actually goes up, much like you would draw colored dye in a stalk of celery. It goes against gravity. They think maybe that's how it works. But as you start this hike, you're down at the bottom of the mountain and you're in the valley that is extremely deep, kind of warm down there, and it's 1,200 feet straight up and it's only a mile and a half hike. I mean, it's like this. And I'm thinking, who in the world would have ever gone up there? And then you read the story, a dude was chasing a mountain lion up there and that's how he found the cave. And I'm thinking to myself, he's an idiot. He's chasing a mountain lion on a cliff. And so you get up there, and there's this hole, and we meet our guide. And I I love guides. I really do. And our guide was about, well, the age of my sons, probably in her early 20s. And you could tell she was fresh from college. And you could tell she was really learned and loved the subject of geology. And so she began to talk, and I began to ask her a handful of questions. And she looked at me like I had a third eye right in the middle of my forehead. Why'd you ask that? I said, you know the stratifications right there? They kind of look like this was an ocean seafloor at some point in time. How do you explain that inside of this mountain, the igneous rock? I'll have to get back to you on that. (laughs) And then we began to look at all these formations, and inside of this, there there are three caves that have actually been joined together by man-made tunnels. And as you get into the middle one, there's this thing called the heart of Tempanogos. It's about a five and a half foot tall stalactite hangs from the ceiling, stalagmites on the ground. And and here's this thing, and it's hanging there, and she begins the spiel. And the spiel is based on a process that we would call uniformitarianism. In other words, things are as they are. They have always been as they are, and processes continue throughout time just as we see them today. That's the basis, in essence, of all of our understanding of geologic processes. Erosion, wind erosion, water erosion, all of those types of things are believed to be processes that have taken place over millions of years. And so she begins it, yes, this is 460 million years old. And I'm thinking to myself, that one's five and a half feet tall. It's about that big in diameter. It's not a huge one. I've seen bigger. You've been to Carlsbad Caverns. There's one that's 80 feet tall. I'm sitting there looking at this. I'm going, hmm, 460 million years it took to grow that, huh? Then so I asked her after the fact, I said, can you tell me why there's a six-footer underneath the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C.? You all didn't know that, did you? There is a six-foot tall stalactite underneath the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. It's only 200 years old. So you see, those uniformitarian processes that we think of as necessary for us to explain our universe, our world, don't necessarily hold all that much water. So you do believe in the miraculous. If you believe that our world has things in it, we can't explain. You couldn't explain the pregnancy of Mary. And it would have been a real difficult thing to talk about at the time. And so as we move on, you can imagine, you know, we we have all of these books, and I'm sure most of you ladies, if you've had children, maybe you've got a copy of What to Expect When You're Expecting. Imagine What to Expect When You're Expecting the Messiah. Probably not a lot of those copies in Barnes & Noble. Okay, you go in, there you are in Jerusalem in Barnes & Noble. Uh, Do you have a copy of What to Expect When You're Expecting the Messiah? Who do you talk to about these things? Who do you go to? Isn't it amazing that the new normal for Mary, God knew so well that He sends her to Elizabeth, who actually is experiencing a miracle of her own. A miracle of her own. She's 80. She blew by menopause a long time ago. She's now carrying John the Baptist. She's going, yeah, honey, I know. Mary needed to talk to someone. And I love the fact that God cares enough to send his people into our lives that we can talk to. Maybe they aren't going through exactly the same thing, but close enough that you can get that counsel that you actually need at the time. Outside of the house, probably the normal things going on, the mule drivers and the struggling beasts and the boy arguing with his friend. All the normal things of life were still going on. But for Mary, her world was upside down. It had been flipped on its head. She's wandering around thinking, what do I do? Who do I tell? How can I make this condition known to anyone? Because you know what the people are going to say? Yeah, sure, Mary, the Holy Spirit came upon you. huh. Hey, Joseph, what's up with your wife? You see, those that didn't believe in the miraculous, those that did not and were not looking forward to the coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would have been going, you're nuts. You're crazy. Why do you believe? If you believe that, we got a bridge out there on the Colorado River that used to be in London. We'll sell that to you again. You see, what would have been going around in the circles that surrounded Mary would have been gossip, slander, innuendo. All kinds of things would have been said about she and said about Joseph. And so, God sends Mary to go talk to Elizabeth. And I want you to notice the... The march of the polysyndeton in here as these ands are used. These conjunctions are linking together these individual things. And Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country and unto a city of Judah and entered the house. It's like these things are determined. Here's what's going to happen. Mary, this is what I want you to do because you need to go talk to Elizabeth right now. You ever wondered about some of those divine appointments in your life? How in the world you just happen to end up somewhere talking to somebody? You're in a grocery store, maybe you're at Home Depot, you're in Starbucks, you're like I was in the middle of Mormon land, and there's a fellow believer there that just loves the Lord, and all of a sudden it's just like, man, this place, yeah, but you know, people are getting saved, and I'm like, oh, praise God, I'm encouraged now. I needed to be encouraged. I was bummed. I'm like, these people are lost. But there are still people who love the Lord Jesus, too. God knew exactly where to send me. God knew exactly what I needed to hear. And he sent me. And so here it is that she begins to talk, if you will, and talk out these things. What she needed was a sympathetic ear. Can I remind you that you don't have to have the answers to everything to have a sympathetic ear? I think sometimes we miss the beauty of simply being a vessel through whom God can speak. Doesn't mean you have to know it all. Doesn't mean you have to have experienced it all. Doesn't mean that you have to have an answer for everything. It means that you simply need to be a willing vessel through whom God can move. I guarantee you that Elizabeth did not have all the answers. But she had enough compassion, and therein lies the wonder. She had enough compassion to say, "You know what? Let's talk this through. Let's praise God together because there's miracles in my life." Are you willing to praise God together with other people for the miracles in your life? Man, as I was, I was sitting here thinking we were driving home, and I, you know that's a long ways. It's like eight hundred miles. Now, so you guys don't think we were sinning. We made it in about 10 hours. And if you do the math, that's 80 miles an hour. It's got the speed limits, 80 miles an hour. That's why we're moving to Utah. I can be free. Because if you don't go 90, you'll be run over. So I can drive as fast as I want. No, And we're driving back and I'm just like, Lord. As you're driving through these pastoral scenes of all these farms and you know, barns and cows. Or they even had a billboard with Labradors on it. And I'm like, they've got to be cool here. Look at those dogs. They're cute. And you just think of the lostness. You're, you're sitting there thinking through how God is going to minister. And it is amazing to me how the Lord does what the Lord does and what the Lord alone can do. He hasn't called me to be all things to all men. He's called me to pastor this church. And so sometimes we kind of say, well, we got to have an answer. I don't have to have an answer. I just need to be faithful. And here in this circumstance that Mary finds her psyche just racked, I'm sure she was sitting around wondering, man, am I okay? You know, sometimes when God speaks, we ask some pretty weird questions, don't we? I, maybe you guys don't, but I do. God's at work in my life, and I'm going, are you sure, God? I had little conversations with God. I was like, I'm not sure that was you. Mary needed to talk to somebody, and God sent Elizabeth. A second thing. Notice the confirmation that Mary receives here. And there's a couple of things that really stand out to me. In verse 41, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped within her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Man, I'm nothing special. Why, Why would it be granted to me that the mother of my Lord would be sent to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt within my womb for joy. You talk about instant confirmation. For those that believe perhaps, you know, life begins at one or two years old, or life begins at conception. And it's very clear in this passage that there was communication even at that early age in the womb to those babies. That there was something going on that was unmistakable, undeniable, because it was only the external voice that caused this to happen. That baby was listening. That baby could hear inside the womb. That baby was an entity unto itself. It was already a small person. And it leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And this passage should settle a few things for us in our hearts and in our minds. It should settle when life begins, number one. We should be fully reminded that from God's perspective, we saw this, by the way, in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 25. You remember the story there of Isaac and Rebekah. You remember she had a couple of boys, twins, amen? So much so that those twins were named Jacob and Esau, and that the Scriptures declare of them that in your womb, Rebekah, are two nations. Not just two kids, but two nations. And coming forth from that set of twin births, that argument, and the heel catcher grabs Esau comes the Jewish people and the Arab peoples. Those who would ultimately bring forth Ishmael and bring into the world uh, that which we know as the Arab world and that which we would know as the Jewish world, all from one woman, one birth. And they were wrestling about it then. They still wrestle about it today, do they not? Look at our world. Look at the Middle East and ask yourself the question, is not Scripture true? They're still wrestling. They're still on each other's case, if you will. And God is still for His people, for His children, Israel. His commandments are true, His promises are true, and one day He is going to see to it that all Israel is saved. So it should settle for us. When God speaks, God speaks only the truth. And we can test what He says. We may not have all the answers, but we can look and see if the explanation we have from Scripture is perhaps better than the one that the world gives us, and you will find it is. It's the beauty of God's Word. You see, that baby had a life of its own. And so the child responds, and at once... Uh, Leaps within her. The Messiah was being carried along in the normal way of gestation, just like all babies, because what we have here is nothing more than a miraculous birth that is about to come upon the world. And I want you to notice something. There's an inspiring spirit, not just an instant sign, but an inspiring spirit that goes along with this. Because sometimes, and especially those who have a Catholic background, and again, I don't want to bash at all anyone, but I do want to make a very simple point here. This also solves for us that Mary was not perpetually a virgin. She was blessed above all women. That's all. She was blessed among women. Not above all, but among women. She was simply one of many. As God looks down through time, she was a woman like every other woman. Special? Absolutely. It's only been one mother of God. That's for sure. But meant to be worshipped? Absolutely not. And she tells us why. She, she gives us herself the understanding that she herself needed a Savior. One of the problems that we have in our world is if you believe in the wrong Jesus... There is only one name under heaven whereby you may be saved. Mormons believe in a Jesus, but they don't believe in the Jesus. They believe in a Jesus who is also the brother of Lucifer. And that Jesus is not the Jesus that we know that died on Calvary's cross the fabrication of Joseph Smith as he wore a pair of funky glasses, put a bag over his head, stuck his head into a hat, and then looked at rune stones and came out with a language that has never existed called Reformed Egyptian, wrote it down at a time in King James English when King James English had been dead for 200 years, and then began to expound about another Jesus. There's only one Savior of the world. There's only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And you don't need to pray through Mary. You don't need to pray through the saints. You don't need to pray through or for anyone other than at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. L-O-R-D, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He's the only way. And so when you get hung up in those peripheral things, you get hung up and pushed away from very often the real Jesus. And that's the problem. Because I want to see Jesus for who he is. He was a miracle, he remains a miracle, he will always be a miracle. But from God's perspective, He was always the way and the truth and the life. He was always the answer. And just because to us He's a miracle does not make Him something we cannot trust in. Someone that we cannot put our faith in. It should bolster our faith that God had to do a miracle to bring about salvation by grace and through faith. Because if it could have just been a man... We're in trouble. Why not Adam? Why not Jacob? For that matter, why not Esau? Notice that what these things are are nothing other than the fulfillment of what God already said would happen. In Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 15, a unique prophetic word from the Lord, that there would be one who would be called the seed of the woman. That is a biologic impossibility. Seed belongs to the man, doesn't belong to the woman. And so God very early in the book of Genesis says, you know what, there's going to be one who's going to come who's going to kind of boggle your mind because she's going to, he's going to be of the woman. Holy. Completely. The prophetic word speaks to us that way. And so God's making it clear that there's only one name under heaven. You know why he did that? Because he didn't want Jesus confused with anybody. God made the real Jesus really clear. And so as he does this, you know, Mary, from her perspective, she's marveling. Glorious baby. She's thankful, I'm sure. Remember, she's a young woman, maybe in her teens still. Certainly no more than her early 20s. But she's looking her husband in the eye and going, Ah, the Holy Spirit came upon me. And he's going, If you say so. Because it was a work of faith. Salvation comes by faith, folks. If you're not believing by faith, you're not believing unto salvation. If you're just believing facts, I say to you, you have a tough time believing unto salvation. That's why I always tell people, if I can talk you into being saved, someone can talk you out of being saved. If it's just about facts, then someone can give you opposing facts that may convince you otherwise. It's not about facts, it's about faith. I believe by faith that Jesus Christ is exactly who he declared himself to be. Now, fortunately, he's given me an awful lot of information that believes, makes me believe that my faith is genuine and my faith is reg- real and my faith is legitimate. It's not some hocus-pocus thing. You see, Elizabeth, though she was not yet... Through this process, was blessed that she believed. You, you see, these things were going to happen. And then what we see next is just the the joy of Mary, and and this song that's here is is from, uh, is used very often. It's spoken of as the Magnificat. If you happen to come from a Catholic background, this is the Magnificat, anima. Nea, de, Deum, you know, it's this glorious thing of God that's occurred in Latin. And so you have this, this beautiful picture that Mary now begins to expound about what's going on within her. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, this doesn't just talk about her body. She's not just talking about the baby. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. You know what that tells me about Mary? She was just like all of us. She had a human body and she had an eternal soul. Need to remember that because, in that regard, she was no different than anybody else that's ever lived on this earth. Human body, eternal soul. Nothing more, nothing less. And notice what she says, which should end the argument of who Mary was. She was not the co-redemptrix. She didn't have any part in your salvation whatsoever, other than being the vehicle through whom the Lord Jesus entered this earth. That's it. No more, no less. Wonderful yes, divine, only to the extent that the Holy Spirit used her life to bring forth a miracle. She says... And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary herself said she needed a Savior. Without Jesus, she would be just as lost as all of the rest of us. Without believing in the one that she brought into this world, she would not see heaven either. She was not pre-saved, if you will. She was not a part of the plan of redemption beyond her physical body. She was not superhuman. She was not overly spiritual so far as the scriptures declare to us. She was a gloriously blessed woman who brought Jesus into this world. And she says about herself, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regarded the lowly state of His maid servant. For behold, henceforth unto all generations they will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. Not just to me, but for me. Make that note. It's very clear in the original language. For her... She needed to be saved as well. It wasn't just through her. It wasn't just to her. It was for her. Very, very, very specific what Scripture is saying here. She needed a Savior. And it was for her too. Not just for all of us. Not just for all of mankind. Not just for all who would believe. But for her personally. And holy is His name. You see, God's going to save Mary the way He saves all of us. She's going to believe. Mary was a sinner. She had an eternal soul. And she needed a Savior. And all Scripture does is tell us, Look, This is how it's going to happen for everyone. There's nobody in heaven that that is there now. There is nobody in heaven who will get there later that's going to get there any other way than at the name of Jesus. Whether it was those Old Testament saints that died believing in faith that the Messiah would come and when Jesus said to tell us, I it is finished, they went to heaven or whether it's you and I walking on this earth right now and we have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are saved and one day you're going to take your last breath, you're going to be absent from the body, present with the Lord, or whether it's somebody who is born right now that does not know Jesus that a time later is going to come to faith in Christ, we all get there because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Period. All of us. You see, the Lord is always using the foolish things of the the world to confound the wise. He has always done that. To some degree, there is a level of miraculous in all that God does, isn't there? The moment I think I have things figured out, and I try and do that. I admit willingly, frequently, and often that I'm kind of one of those cerebral kind of people. I like to think through things and go, well, how does this work? And how could you explain it? What analogy, what simile could you draw that someone would look at that? How do you explain it? I I will never forget my first Bible college class. I got asked the mother of all questions. How do you explain the Trinity? And I thought through all of my examples, and we use the egg, and we use paper as one of those ones that we often use paper you see it this way you see that edge you see it this way you see that edge you see it this way you see that edge take away any of them this paper doesn't exist pretty good analogy yeah it's lame totally lame i like to think i want you all to think i want you to use your heads but at the end of the day you got to believe just like mary did that jesus christ is lord She needed a Savior. The only difference between us is that she knew that that babe that was in her was in fact the Lord. Now, I don't know what she went through, because we're really not told during those nine months of gestation. We don't know a whole lot about what happened to Jesus in his early years. There's virtually nothing said. But I know this. Mary knew that that was the Messiah. So when he's out there with his brothers, when he's playing around, doing all the things, I wonder often what she was thinking. Because he could have kind of cheated at most everything, yeah? He was God, you know? Out there playing baseball, well, I'll just let off of this one a little bit, and I'll only hit it 900 feet. <laughs> we don't know. But I know this, to Mary it was still Miraculous. To Mary, it still took faith to believe because her son had stinky feet. Her son had runny noses. Can you imagine Jesus with a runny nose? That's because he was fully God and fully man. So to Mary, when she saw her son, there was always an element of the miraculous. If Jesus had been born into this world and at birth, like we kind of get from the Christmas story and the Christmas carols, all of a sudden, beam of light from heaven. And I believe these things happen, but they happen temporarily. And here it is, Jesus is in the manger. And, all you know, and there's the Lord, and the sun shines down, you know, and all the, the cows begin to sing, I don't know. And the magi come and they bring all their gifts and there's this glorious scenery. Can you imagine if that had happened all of Jesus' life? Who could have related to Jesus if that was the case? Shekinah glory followed Him everywhere. He goes with His family someplace. No, there's the Messiah. He was a man. So we could relate to Him. But He was fully God. So he could be the perfect sacrifice. Mary knew that he was God. But she also had to raise him as her son. It's a beautiful picture of how God works in our lives. Some things are real. They're touchable. And some things are miraculous and known only to God. And that is a mix in each of our lives. And I love this. Notice the practical note. You see, there was a personal note for Mary. There's a practical note, and basically what God did for you and I as we begin to wrap this up. Verse 15, it says, And His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. The word fear there is the word reverence. doesn't mean fear like being scared of. It means to understand the nature of God, who He is. For he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Isn't God still in the business of doing these things? Think about it for a second. And we look at our world today and you see the trouble that that the country's in economically and you see all these things that you would think of by now, we would have figured out a way to make it so we never experience these types of things again. There shouldn't be war. There shouldn't be famine. There shouldn't be hunger anywhere in the world. We have plenty of resources to feed the entire world. There should not be a reason for people to kill each other. There's no reason for Bashar Assad to use nerve gas on his own people. There's no reason for any of those things. And here a mighty God says, you know what? People are always going to have vain imagination in their heart. People are always going to be hungry. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. Always. It's a sign that there is no solution in simply the human mind, human hands. Without the intervention of a glorious God, there is no hope for what ails us. What ails the world is a God-sized problem, and it takes a God-sized solution. And so God is left in the picture. This isn't just some baby that glows in the dark. It isn't God reigning here on earth everywhere He goes. He just does whatever He wants. We see the necessity of us to understand from a human perspective what God did to redeem us. That's why your Bible says He considered it not robbery to take upon Himself the form of a man and to die a death on the cross. You see God doing that Brought all of us near to as many as believed. To those who received, he gave the power to become the sons of God, children of God, daughters of God. For he has put down the mighty from their thrones. Isn't it funny how we think all human activity ultimately will lead to something glorious and spectacular? Would you look at the march of human history and ask me how well that's worked out through time? You would think if you went back to the early days of the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire and the Macedonian Empire, the Chinese Imperial Empire, perhaps the Japanese Imperial Empire, and you look at these great civilizations that we surely would have figured out how to conquer some of these dumb things that we still do. And yet we don't. Because God has left in us a vacuum that can only be filled by Jesus. God has left us without solutions to these things permanently so that we will always have need to turn to Jesus. It's why it is the way it is, it's what He's done. He's crafted a world that doesn't have all the answers so that we will be looking to the one who does have the answers. And he chooses sometimes to enlighten us. He gives us tremendous abilities. What mankind has done and can do is amazing, to be sure. Look at some of the things that mankind has built, and I'm going, how in the world did we ever figure out how to do that? Because we are dumb as bricks at times. Seriously. But yet it's not the answer. The Al Dubai, the, the largest building in the world, 2,674 feet tall. That's a half a mile for those of you who like such things. It's a half a mile tall. More than two-thirds of it's empty. Built a nice building, but it's empty. Mankind's been building big things that are empty for a long time. It's our history. Ways of life that can't save. He has filled the hungry with good things, and yet the rich he sent away empty. You ever read those stories of people who were once fabulously wealthy and well-known? So many of our Hollywood, I was, I was watching, I don't want you to get the wrong impression, but every once in a while I like to watch the show Pawn Stars. It's good. Have some cool things that come in. I, you know, I, I watched it, but I'm sitting there, and this lady came in in an episode that we were watching with two paintings from Tony Curtis. For those of us who are a little older, we understand. Tony Curtis was an A-list actor, okay? He died wretched and poor and blind, and she brought in these pictures, and she paid something like $50,000 for them. They're worth nothing. Because when he died, everything about his life unraveled and became revealed. He was a closeted homosexual for most of his life. He was a miserable human being. Frankly, he was a terrible artist. I looked at those things and going, man, my kids did better than that in the second grade. My point is this. Mankind places value on some pretty strange things, amen? God places value on who we are in Christ. And so I don't care who you are. I don't care where you came from. As far as God's concerned, He sent Jesus into this world to die for you. That's how special you are. That's how much you mean to the God who created you. Don't ever underestimate the extent to which God has gone to bring you near to Him. You see, as she sings this song, all of God's people are brought near. And as she wraps it up, we find this in verse 54. For He has helped His servant Israel. We see the prophetic part of this, because there's part of it that's going to be unfolded later. In remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. You see, sometimes we look at the world, we look at the Holocaust, and we go, man, God must have taken his hand off the children of Israel. God can't possibly care about them anymore. If that happened to you, there must be something wrong with them. And yet, from God's perspective, even the Holocaust one day, the light will go on and people will go, oh, that's what you were doing. As horrible as it was as monumentally evil as Adolf Hitler was. So has been mankind from the beginning. The first two kids didn't do so well, did they? Cain, Abel, you remember the story. Jacob, Esau, you remember the story. Without Christ, that's our story. And so the Lord brings this child who is born, the son who is given, it fulfills Isaiah nine six, fulfills Genesis three fifteen, fulfills Isaiah seven fourteen, fulfills the picture that Daniel gave us in chapters nine and twelve. Behold my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, God would finally say. You see, when we keep Jesus where He belongs, we can all sing a song about Jesus. Amen? That's why we worship, by the way. Mary's singing out a song here. And it's a song that we should all join in on. Because He alone is worthy to be praised. As miraculous as He is, He's still Savior to us all. As unique as the story is, one of one, according to the book of Colossians, Jesus is called the firstborn, the preeminent one. He's just one of one. There is no other. That's why we praise Him. That's why this is such a wonderful thing that Mary speaks here. She's saying to us, He's my Savior. He will be your Savior. He's my Son, but He's God's Son that's a miracle my friends and it's an exciting miracle because it's one that puts us all right with God if we'll believe if you've never done that don't wait rest and trust if you need to pray after service come and talk with me because it's the most important decision you'll ever make is to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen let's pray Father, we're so grateful for the simplicity of the gospel message, for the beauty of the miracles that leave no explanation but a great God in heaven sent His only begotten Son to this earth that we might be saved. That the Creator who created us moved in such a way as to save us. And so, Lord, to You, We give our allegiance to You. We give our praise. And as Mary sang, and as we rejoice, Lord, we pray that You would fill our lives with Your peace, fill our lives with Your goodness. Lord, may we experience the blessings that You rain down upon her. Lord, as we recognize who Jesus is, would You bless us? Would You minister to our weaknesses? Would You use our strengths? God, we love You, we praise You, and we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.